Well, welcome everyone. We're in the final in our series um, on uh, 2020 and 2020. And the last on this will be uh, called Tuning In. Uh, so tuning in to uh, something greater than ourselves, tuning into God, tuning into spirit that is both within our situations and beyond them, inside our problems, and then beyond that as well into the place of solution. So there's this <clears throat> dynamic of, of um, for those of us who are trying to follow God, to tuning into that which is already happening around us. So the tuning in is a, is a good metaphor for what it is like when we're trying to uh, go beyond ourselves and not just stay within our own particular understanding and our particular perspectives of the world. And, um, and so some of that is, is captured in prayer. So in prayer, we're actually tuning in. We're, we're acting as if there is someone, something beyond ourselves. And we're, and we're trusting that that's true. And so we begin to act that way. And in doing so, um, many of us have experienced uh, running into that and having insight and having direction and guidance from, um, from spirit, from God. Um, and so this idea of tuning in is something that uh, John, who was a disciple of Jesus, talked about, particularly referencing Jesus as one who was the master at tuning in to what God was doing to so such a degree that it really bothered a lot of people. Because his capacity to, to, to tune in was so on that other people thought of it as arrogance, as pride. How can you act as if you know what God is doing? Right? It was a certain measure of, of reactivity against it, a reaction against that. Um, particularly because there was such a, a, a stratified culture, as we've talked about many times before, where um, the higher ups, the more elite they, these were the ones that were perceived as being close to God, or in some cases, such as the pharaohs and other kings in other uh, religions, ancient cultures and religions, were viewed to be somewhat of a demi-god, a, a part god, part human being. Um, and there's a lot of reason for that, but it's a, it's a, it's a sort of ingrained uh, belief within them, within these cultures um, that date back many thousands of years ago. And so when um, when you have an, a, a very average person like Jesus, who was born um, what was perceived to be an illegitimate birth because he was born uh, by a woman saying she gave birth, uh, you know, immaculate conception style and uh, nobody believed it in the day. Nobody believed it in the day. We can say, oh, you know, of course it was immaculate conception or of course it was the virgin birth. Yeah, but nobody in his day, nobody in the day of Jesus believed it. It was you're illegitimately born um, and you're born to a poor family. So you're disregarded. And he's one who's acting as if he's the child of God, the son of God, and can tune in and is extremely aware of what God is doing in the present moment. All sorts of issues. It's like it's like believing that God is actually active in this moment when clearly God is not because we're under the control of Rome. And on top of that, you're acting as if you can hear God and you are acting as if God speaks to you. When we know that God only speaks to those who are way up here, the priests, the pastors of today. Um, and you're acting as if God can 
actually speak to you. So let's pick up on that because this is about insight, the ability to see by tuning in to what God is doing in the present moment. Okay, so I'm very specific about the, the words I just used there. In the present moment, not tuning into what God has done in the past and becoming experts at that, which is what we call theologians and scholars. We're experts at knowing what God has done in the past. We can talk all day long about it, right? That does not make us exclusive or special. What makes anybody, including somebody born on the lowest rung and from an illegitimate, uh, you know, uh, situation that can actually hear from God for today is, is, is more important than someone who can talk about what God has done and can uh, exegete passages of scripture in Greek and Hebrew. And that's how Jesus behaves. And so Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath in John chapter five. And that was a no-no. You don't do things like that, at least according to the religious elite. They had long studied the scriptures. They knew what they were talking about. They had degrees. They were so well-educated and they're uh, creating um, the religion of the day. And they'd been sort of passing it down and taking it and adding to it and tweaking it. But all along, they have this body of knowledge, this, this system, this religious system that they are saying, this is how it works. And this is what is required of us by God. And Jesus does something that I'm going to be calling in the last slide. So um, here it is. Jesus had been doing the right, wrong thing rather than doing the wrong, right thing. <laughs> this is true faith, folks. There is no character in the Bible that was ever seen as a good person who wrote, who were like significant characters in the Bible. Think about that for a moment. Most of the characters in the Bible that are referred to were not considered the best type of characters in their day. Now, some of them were genuinely further ahead, morally perhaps, than the others. But many of them were characters that were troublemakers. And they were creating trouble in their day by the way they lived. Not intentionally trying to create trouble. They were trying to follow and discern and tune in to God as God was active in their day and it created trouble. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to be a bit of a troublemaker. And that goes against the grain for some of you who want to be good people in every, in every you know, in, in the societal standards of what it means to be good. But Jesus does the right, wrong thing versus the wrong, right thing. The Pharisees and religious leaders were excellent at doing the wrong, right thing. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. That's the wrong, right thing. It was right by everybody. Everybody agreed with that rule, but it was wrong. Their treatment of... Um, the lesser people, women, was the right thing, but it was wrong. And Jesus does the right, wrong thing by actually discipling women, assuming they would rise to power themselves at some point. It's, it's incredible, incredible how Jesus does the right, wrong thing. And everybody else seemed to be doing the wrong 
right thing. And this is what it means when we tune in to God is that we begin to see in different ways, in new ways. Now, here's the thing. What's the guardrails to this sort of doing the right, wrong thing is that at the end of John uh, chapter five, Jesus says that the problem was that the people, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were not moved by love. They were moved by something else. And I love how Jesus brings it all back to that. If you read the whole chapter, this is how he finishes is by pointing at the heart. That's the issue. The issue is you're not moved by love. When you're moved by love and compassion, you will do the right, wrong thing because you'll begin to see. We talked about love a few weeks ago. You see differently. And Jesus points to that at the end of John chapter five. That's the guardrail. It's not like do, be a rebel, be, be you know, purposefully provocative, because there's some of you who like being provocative. That's actually fun. And that you think is maybe that's the right, you know, that's the right, uh, that's the wrong right thing I should be doing, the wrong right thing. But it's not about being provocative. It's about being moved by compassion and by love. All right, so that's the guardrails. Let's go back to this part where Jesus has healed a... Um, a person on the Sabbath and created trouble for himself. And now the religious leaders are, are, are Adam saying, this is wrong. Biblically, it's wrong, Jesus. You are wrong according to the scriptures. Who does that sound like, by the way? Modern day evangelicals. Come on, folks. Are you, are you, are you observing? You're not living under a rock, right? I mean, this is the way... Modern evangelicals, modern churches that are very strong about biblical uh, truth. This is the way we communicate. This is the way I've always communicated. It's, it's, it's in the Bible. This is the right, you know, clearly. And Jesus is not against the Bible. In fact, later in chapter five, he says, you religious leaders, you read and study the scriptures more than anybody else does, but you can't see because it's speaking about me. And you don't even see that. You can study all day long, but if you don't have the eyes to see, it's complete uselessness. And then it turns into what Paul calls the knowledge that puffs up versus the love that builds up. So you, can't, you can't do, you can't separate that out. You can't go, well, I'm studying and I'm learning and I'm trying to do the right thing. Yeah, but are you moved by love? Well, that, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, but, th- but I'm trying to do the right thing. No, you can't separate the two. It's impossible. One gives light to the other. Love gives light to your reading. You see differently when you love, but you have to live in the world of love. You can't say, well, I love, I love everybody. Yeah, but do you hang out with them? No, I don't want to hang out with people. <laughs> I like being by myself and I like thinking about things and I like reading and I like listening to Fox and CNN because that's how I learn about people. Yeah, but then you're not loving because Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That was actually like literally like like love your neighbor, like go do something and be with them and spend time with them, get to know them. So love and then study and learning and understanding they work so well together. They create this, this deeper knowledge. So Jesus is practicing this in John chapter five. So because love drove him, he heals a man on the Sabbath and gets himself into trouble. He did the wrong, right thing. 
<laughs> and, and so then he's accused. And so Jesus says, so because John's writing this, he says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. So what ancient, what metaphor is this? And what ancient culture is this referencing? Well, I think about the way the, the business world worked in the, ancient, in the ancient world, right? How did you learn a business? You worked with your dad. Your dad taught you the business. You were the apprentice. As the oldest son, you were expected to learn your dad's business and to get very good at it. Now, Jesus was a carpenter or what would technically be known today as a combination of working with wood and working with stone. So a bit of both, a masoner and, and, um, and, and, and one who works with wood, a carpenter. And so he did both. Now, Jesus learned that from his dad, his earthly father. So when he says, my father is at work, immediately, what does that trigger in the ear of those who would have heard it in that time? And the audience John is writing this to, which would have come later. What immediately comes to their mind? Well, as John is writing this, he's saying, see, what's happening is as soon as Jesus says, my father is always at work, it triggers for them. Are you talking about your earthly father? You can't be because he's dead. So are you daring to reference God as your father and that you're learning his business? How dare you? We're priests. We're spiritual leaders. We're the ones apprenticing. We're the ones learning. We're the older brother. Ooh, does that remind you of a story? The prodigal son, the older brother. Jesus cleverly uses that older brother metaphor there. <laughs> As you, the older brother is the one who gets angry, right? It's referring to the Pharisees, the religious people. So, so, the, so, so these people are the older brother who are saying, we're the ones, we're the ones who are learning the father's business and we're trying to do this, but we don't even dare call ourselves his son. And you dare to step out and call yourself his son. So that enrages them. But he says, in my defense, uh, my father's always at work to this very day. And I too am working for this reason. They tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Right? He's, he's saying you're, you're essentially going to take over your dad's business and become like your dad. You know, that's, that's not, that's not cool. That's, that's arrogance. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Okay. So a couple other things that are going on here. So the first thing is he's using this metaphor of saying, yes, I'm my father's son and I will be doing what my father has done. I will take over that business. I will become one who is acting like that. So, so Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm learning to be, but he's not, here's the thing. It's really awesome what John does. John is not just saying hail to Jesus. He's our rock star. 
That's great religious stuff that we oftentimes do today. Jesus, he's our man. Jesus was the one who redeemed us. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we praise Jesus. Okay, great. But that's actually not the end goal for John, nor is it for the apostles. The end goal is really, do you see what Jesus was doing? He was doing what we're supposed to do. That's the end goal is that you rise up as a son and daughter of God and that you start believing you can tune in to God and hear God for yourself and act as if you are hearing from God and begin to move out. Doing your father's business, tuning in to spirit that is already present wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing. It's not talking about ministry work like in the church. It's talking about whatever you're doing. Ministry's out there. That's the great news of the New Testament is like, this isn't about the temple. This is about the temple's been destroyed. It's about you and me are the temple. We go out tuning into the divine, to tuning into spirit and noticing what God is doing at any given moment and then joining in with God to participate in that. That's what makes it so highly effective is when we tune into what God's doing and in that moment respond. Hey, but that is what's so hard because we're tuned into what? Everything else but God. <laughs> we're tuned into our own needs at a given moment, right? We have a lot of needs, don't we? Didn't tune into your needs. What are your needs? Oh, my need is to be, be useful, be helpful, be, 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 be powerful, be, you know, whatever it is, be successful. We all have needs. We all have these, these drivers internally and we're aware of them. So it's really difficult to pull back on those things and to tune into something beyond us. That's always present with us. It's also within us, but it's beyond us. And so Jesus is, is demonstrating this. John is actually trying to teach us this. This is what Jesus did. This is what you're to do. Tune in to the divine that is always at work all around you. You are your father's child and you're learning his business. Now it assumes that God is at work. That's the other thing that we have to think about. It assumes that God is at work right now. Right? That's a hard assumption. When you've had a hard day or a difficult experience, that's... Man, when I've had difficult situations, if I ask myself, do I sense God in this moment? My answer almost always is, nope, (laughs) not in this moment. (laughs) I certainly don't. Doesn't feel like God. Feels like something else. Hell, the devil, something. (laughs) But it doesn't feel like God. So the assumption Jesus makes is that there's never a time God is not at work. God's always at work right now in your situation. Now that, that, that's what's called faith because faith isn't that certainty thing. It's not that I know, I know, I know, and I have no need for faith. It's like, ugh, I got to call up this thing that I don't really want to call up, which is the assumption in the faith that God is present right now in this situation. But I don't feel God in the moment. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's called faith. If you felt it, it wouldn't be that, big of a step of faith, would it? It would be kind of fun and easy and natural and we would just move out. But when it's difficult and you lean into faith 
and you trust that God is present. That's oftentimes, by the way, when you experience mostly the greatest parts of, or the most impactful moments in your life, the most transformative moments, the times when God shows up the most is oftentimes when you're not ready. Oftentimes when you aren't feeling like, I feel God all over me in this moment. That's oftentimes when you lean into faith that then something amazing happens. Let me give you an illustration of that. So last week we had this incredible time here where um, I had this sense and the way it works, and we'll talk more about this because I've been asked to do this from some of you who have said, can you talk about like what it means to tune into God or hear God or, you know, like on a practical level, granular, like not the concept and abstract. That's great. But like, so yeah, glad to. Um, but when I was standing over here, I had this, this um, sense, this sort of thought come to my mind. And it wasn't like I had this magic moment of like, oh, I totally feel God. It's like, maybe, I think so but it's worth a risk because we're, we're kind of a school here. That's what we're doing. We're not act, none of us are performers. We're trying to discern and figure it out. That's what tuning in is. It's a practice. So, all right, let's, let's give it a whirl. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's okay. I got to be okay with being wrong. I got to be okay with missing it at times. So got up and shared some, shares what I felt. I also had this, this uh, picture of, uh, Lori praying for people. And it was impactful in my mind, the way I saw it. It was like, you know, with great power and authority, you know, cause everything's exaggerated in my type, you know, my head. It's like, I'm, my type always thinks of things as grandeur and, you know, so it's like, I had this big picture and that's the way God also works is within your personality and it's okay. Hey, so we get, some of you came up here because we invited you to respond to some of these thoughts that, that, uh, that I had. You came up here and uh, when you did, there were, two, there were two things that happened that did not connect with me and that I did not feel like what, if I had gone with what I felt in here, I would not have seen that as God. So let me tell you those two things. One was um, when Lori prayed and said, baby steps, I heard that and went like, no, I'm thinking big. <laughs> So that's the first thing. Right? I was like, you know, if I had, if I had just gone with my personality, I would have been let down because I would have wanted her to go, ah, you know, <laughs> with force and power and all that. And that would feel really good because I like that. But she didn't. But as I paid attention, tuning in, paying attention, what's happening in the room? Are people responding? Are people being impacted that? Yeah, there were a lot of you who were like, oh, that was totally for me. That was dead on. This whole tuning, this all like baby stuff, absolutely tuning. I mean, tears and everything. So I stood back and I was like, great, that's awesome. Like I'm used to it now. I'm used to not getting it 100% because I shouldn't because that I'm only one. I'm only one person. I'm not the body of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Jesus Christ. We together look like Jesus. You get it? Like I can't look like Jesus on my own, nor should I. It's okay for me to have only a perspective. It's okay for me to only have partly part knowledge, part understanding. But when we together are functioning as one and we're contributing and you're contributing, then we get this sense of what I used to call God's greater voice. So I got a part of God's voice, but the greater voice is, is when we are together. So that was the first one. The second one was, then Jim said, could we hear back from people on how it impacted them? And he took the mic and began doing that. My first reaction was like, oh, this is going to take extra time. Let's, let's roll, right? 
I can take time all I want, right? But when someone else takes time, then it's a problem. <laughs> so, so <laughs> see, I'm telling on myself, I have no problem. Um, I love your honesty. But so, so when Jim did that, it was like, that's right. Like I knew, into, like there was something inside me that said that's right, even though it doesn't feel like comfortable entirely. Although I've done it plenty of times where I've said, I want to hear from you, right? And I love to hear from people. I really genuinely love to hear from people. But in my mind, I'm thinking we've already gone long enough. And Jim stops it and says, we need to really hear from people. It was the right move because then I got even more. And it was so like wonderful to hear from you guys. I mean, really good. I went home. I'm talking to Patty about it. I was just like super excited. So God shows up. Again, tuning in means that it doesn't doesn't mean that you'll always feel it. I can imagine Jesus at times going, this doesn't feel right. This does not feel right, but it is right. So I got to go with it. So that's how sometimes it works. It doesn't always feel right, but then you notice what's happening in the room or you notice what's happening around you and you move in faith. So this is as granular as I can get this morning. We're going to develop this more, I think, in the next series because I've been asked by some of you to do so. And so I want to talk more about this and kind of what does it look like to tune more into God? What are the steps we can take? Because I've done a lot of growth in this area of, try, of, of pulling back on certain parts of my personality in order to, to, to really tune into what God's doing. And, um, and so um, we'll get more into that. But I think that might be, might be helpful for, for us. I've also been asked this, you know, um, to, to talk a little bit about the Trinity. Like that was confusing to some of you. Um, about what is it? What is the Trinity? How does that work entirely? So we'll say a little bit about that, um, and then get into the whole. You know, like how does the Spirit move and, t- and speak to us, and how do we um, tune in on a practical level? Um, but tuning in is 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 the message for this morning, and that's what guides us to doing the right, wrong thing, and seeing differently versus doing the wrong. <laughs> right thing all the time. So easy to do the right thing by the, by standards of society and by what's always been done. Right. Right. Um, all right. So I am in a season where it's crucial that I accept God's gift of grace or I'll get really stuck. I wrote these definitions of grace and I put them all over my house in places that I can see them throughout the day. Grace is spiritual freedom that arises when you realize that life is a gift. From this awareness, you seek to live in harmony with God, the power that creates the cosmos. Grace is spiritual freedom. It is liberation from false ideas, from the tyranny of ignorance, and from the oppression of emotional turmoil. May your week be blessed. May you put down the internal bat that you tend to beat yourself up with. May you find the strength to quiet the voice that tells you that you are not good enough not worthy enough, and don't have enough. Yeah. Let go of the not enoughs. You are enough, more than enough. Someone told me this week that the moment I was created, I became enough. As you go through your week, may you recognize when fear, anger, and cynicism are rising up in you, and may you seek to replace those experiences with hope, faith, and charity. May you choose the right, wrong thing and rise up as a son and daughter of God. And in those moments, may you feel and accept God's grace. Amen. 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 Have a good week.